Frazier and Cheers, the Jetsons and the Flintstones, Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley. These are all examples of classic TV crossovers. This episode, we're joining that tradition. We all have a responsibility to destigmatize, normalize, and uh, professionalize and validate the plant and the industry and those working and consuming by talking with folks who still are on that other side and still upholding that, you know, stigmatized um, ideology or idea of or perception of the industry or the plant itself. Because when you get to realistically looking at irrigation water and agricultural water and how much just evaporation is, it's huge. I know everybody's scared of the devil's lettuce drinking a whole bunch of water. I get it, but it doesn't, okay? You really get down to it, you get you get down to the science of it, it's really a pretty amazing plant. If we really want to put a big dent into the black market, we're gonna have to really go back and look at our taxes, especially once the taxes start to increase in the next couple of years. We're actually probably gonna have to go back and stop that and maybe decrease it a little bit because that's just gonna fuel the black market even further. This is Growing Forward, a collaborative podcast about cannabis in New Mexico between New Mexico Political Report and New Mexico PBS. I'm Andy Lyman with New Mexico Political Report. I'm Megan Kamrek, a New Mexico PBS correspondent and news director at KUNM Public Radio. So it's obviously premature to compare Growing Forward to classic TV sitcoms, but this week is a classic crossover episode nonetheless, as we talk with the crew of another podcast about cannabis in New Mexico. NM Canacast is hosted by cannabis policy and education advocates Chad Lozano, Josh McCurdy, and Shannon Jaramillo. Their weekly topics include things like best practices for cannabis business owners and advice to those trying to get into the industry. Here's Chad explaining the beginnings of their podcast. Josh and I kind of took a step back from uh, social media stuff and advocating for a while and kind of just focused on the grow because we knew legalization was coming. But once it did and when things started kind of to roll, Josh uh, decided that we needed to do a podcast to kind of get us out there, get the branding. So I came back to social media, started doing more episodes. And then after the first episode, we realized that we needed a female on the show and we needed someone else too. You know, like, you know, we need we needed a female perspective, not just a bunch of dudes. And so we kind of thought for a while, and that's when we invited Shannon. And I think Josh wanted to add something too. NM Canicast just happened, like 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 Chad said. I I actually moved to Oklahoma, a commercial girl out there with the family and everything out, and then all that fun stuff. And when we went legal, you know, here in New Mexico, I moved back. Being in in the advocacy world, like you said, you know, I was president of the largest patient advocacy group for multiple, you know, many years. So got back and 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 seeing there was a need already to kind of help with some education. So we started a page, and then trying to dodge social media, you know how it is. People pull you back into it and stuff. So we started doing a, uh, doing a podcast, talked to, uh, you know, Larry Love at Medical Marijuana Radio. Uh, you know, that's kind of how one of my ways I got into advocacy. And so asked him for help. And uh, yeah, and so here we are now, you know what I mean? And we, it's just evolved and, and just kept improving. And, and all we're trying to do is just give information out to people in, in New Mexico and the cannabis world, right? Because there's a lot of stuff out there that if you're on, you don't have the education or the experience because it's been crazy for the last 10 years for us that you might just miss and not know. And, and, you know, I don't, when I was in Oklahoma, I seen a lot of failures, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of family failures, right? Small businesses and stuff. So I didn't want that to happen, especially coming back to, to New Mexico with the micro license and stuff, you know, just more education for people. And, and so, yeah, the Canacast kind of just rolled off and here we go. We, we do all kinds of episodes on everything, you know, New Mexico and everything cannabis. So real quick, I realized, you know, our listeners may remember when we talked to Chad and Shannon a couple of times, 
Josh, can you give us a little bit more of your, of your background? I think when I first met you, you were living in Ridoso, but you have some ties to Oklahoma. Can you give us some, go back a little further in time? Yeah, yes, yes. So yeah, I started advocating back in uh, 2013, 2014. Um, I had a bad experience at a dispensary and they gave me a letter saying you had to go 187 miles to get access. So uh, my grandmother was a patient at the time. So that kind of just rubbed me wrong. And, uh, and then I got right, right into it. I've been a, you know, part of multiple groups in New Mexico from the cannabis strategy team, different advocacy groups and stuff from the North to the South to the whole state. And then, uh, yeah, I've been growing for multiple years. I started growing, you know what I mean? Even before I was a medical patient, allegedly, uh, you know, all, all that. And then I got into growing and kind of the plant picked me on this. I, I, I fell in love with growing it and just how it works and, and just everything else. I, I nerd out at anything I do. I try to be the best at it. So I started, you started the growing situation. I was terrible. My first grow, I was terrible. And so I just got better and better. Uh, you know what I mean? Improving, uh, work, got some other experiences from different States and stuff. And then, um, a couple of years ago was 2019 and went to, uh, in 2020, went to Oklahoma, a uh, family farm, uh, open, uh, we opened up there, got to see that commercial side of it. And then when we went legal here, I, I moved back to New Mexico, uh, back to Rio Doso because I, I love the mountains. I graduated high school from Carlsbad. So I've been in New Mexico for a while. And then, uh, like I said, came back and, and just got right when the legalization hit, just hit the ground running just to help, uh, any I could and and especially on the grow side I know how difficult that is I've been a grow consultant for many years I've worked at commercial nurseries even some other commercial things that throughout other states so I just wanted to come and help people like I said I seen a big tragic thing in Oklahoma uh, through one of the freezes there where a lot of people lost their farms and then it, it was just sad and I just you know come back here to New Mexico and was just looking to to help people out and, and through all my experience, right? Because the only way you can get good at something is kind of messing up quite a bit at it and until you learn it. So I've been very blessed. So New Mexico has been, been wonderful. And the cannabis plant is, uh, uh, my grandmother passed away last year. It'll be a year on the 17th. But uh, the cannabis plant gave me an extra 10 years with her or more. So I feel like I owe that plant quite a bit. And, and, and if I can help anybody have their family members have a better quality of life just from from knowledge you know that that's huge to me here in new mexico and and then just keeping new mexico is like a team like everybody wants to compete against each other here in new mexico but realistically it's the nation like we have new mexico true already we have some wonderful things here in new mexico so we need to work with each other become just a powerhouse in the national level that's coming and i and i wish people would see that even more so worrying about competing against each other helping each other be stronger because you know, there's a lot of bigger money out there on the national level and stuff. And I believe New Mexico could be one of the greatest places to produce some of the greatest quality cannabis at, at the cheapest price per gram in the nation. Shannon, we've talked to you before. How does your work with your company, Seedcrest, um, work into being part of the CannaCast? When they asked me to jump on the CannaCast with them, the end of CannaCast, they asked me to come with a, you know, an attitude of educating people and of expertise around policy and kind of the community. And so, of course, I draw from my experience of uh, Seedcrest and of working with the community. So really, it's 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 not meant to promote Seedcrest in any way, but uh, meant more so to have me on the NM Canacast so that I can be a, 
uh, I guess, a center of influence and an expert uh, that, the, that the community can rely on. So we give away free tips, Megan. We give away a lot of information that, uh, of course, I'm fortunate enough to learn from by working with small businesses and by certifying the workforce. And so that's pretty much how it plays in. But the other piece is, is uh, bringing more women on to the show and showcasing more women uh, like myself and more diversity. And so, of course, you know, we're celebrating Pride Month right now, right? And I celebrate it year round. And so, you know, these guys, you know, they bring uh, a lot to the table themselves. And then you add me to the to the mix and, and you throw that little extra color in there, right? And so that's what <laughs> I'm doing with the podcast. Your podcast focuses a lot on destigmatization. And now that New Mexico has legalized recreational use cannabis, where do you see room for improvement when it comes to furthering that destigmatization? Well, I think that we all have a responsibility to uh, destigmatize, normalize, and professionalize and validate the plant and the industry and those working and consuming by talking with folks who still are on that other side and still upholding that, you know, stigmatized um, ideology or idea of or perception of the industry or the plant itself. And so the podcast definitely focuses on that. And we de definitely um, try to bring as many people on who have different stories to combat that so they can normalize it from their perspective as well, right? Uh, Josh has a story. Chad has a story. I have a story. We just met earlier today with Senator Hamblin. She had a story, right? You guys have stories. And so that's what we're doing around destigmatizing with the podcast. this to all three of you we'll start with you shannon but obviously i know you all three can't speak for every patient in the state and we're still quite a ways from the next legislative session but what do you want to see addressed in potential legislation next year shannon well you know I, there's so many different things this is a loaded question andy <laughs> um you know i really think that we could um, address the social equity aspect and the reinvestment into these businesses and the workforce i know that that along with you know, more educational pathways and paid for education. Um, and so, you know, we, with the legislation, I, I just encourage that uh, we're being thoughtful in the gaps. We're promoting 11,000 jobs, but we don't really have that, you know, I, I, we do at Seacrest have a pathway, but the state hasn't identified or shed light on that, right? And so um, I, I encourage that we have more information and something else written in that allows for those legislators to carve out funding for just normal, you know, educational, you know, routes into the industry. We've got a huge gap in cultivation, extraction, and testing. We have a lot of entry-level people coming in, but we still haven't made that pathway clear, nor have we made financial aid available through traditional um, college or university channels, let's say. And so, you know, social equity, education, and reinvestment into businesses is what I'd like to see addressed. So I'll pose that same to, to you, uh, Josh and Chad, uh, but also I know that Josh, like you've spoken to me and I've heard you on the podcast talk about don't break the rules because you're going to make it worse for all of us, right? We talked about too much regulation, but what would you two like to see, you know, come up to sort of fine tune uh, the Cannabis Regulation Act? I would like to see uh, definitely the, the micro licenses go up to a thousand, you know, uh, and then uh, with the water. I would like to see, uh, you know, I work with a lot of different grows throughout the state and the water, the way we convert it. If you have agricultural water, you know, I, I believe you should, if you have water rights, you should be good. 
You know what I mean? It, it don't have to be special or have to convert it and you lose one third or whatnot. As long as you're, you know what I mean? A lot of cannabis growing is definitely a lot of indoor and in, in greenhouse, right? Is super precise. So that, that would be interesting. To, it, it opened up and it wouldn't have such a delay. Uh, I think here in New Mexico, we're scared to be Oklahoma, but we're not Oklahoma. It's not a $3,000 license for unlimited plants with unlimited water or anything like that. That's my two things is kind of look at, relook at the water, make sure we have certified water. That's it. If it's, you know what I mean? Definitely in there, because when you get to realistically looking at irrigation water and agricultural water and how much just evaporation is it's huge. I know everybody's scared of the devil's lettuce drinking a whole bunch of water. I get it, but it doesn't. Okay. Uh, you know, you really get down to it. You get, you get down to the science of it. It's really a pretty amazing plant. It's the super devil's effective. lettuce. I hadn't heard that before. That's really funny. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Yeah. The devil's lettuce. Yeah. I talk about it quite often, but you know, I, I grew up in Eddie County, very conservative. So I, I grew up, you know what I mean? At 17, I beat up one of my best friends for smoking cannabis because it was going to ruin his life. Right. And I'm 41 years old, so deep into it and know more about the plant than I ever should. To me, I think they did a great job with what we got. I was really surprised, uh, you know, how open they, how open they opened it up for us. And yeah, it just, you know, maybe, maybe a different seed to sell. I'll put it that way. I guess with me, I, I would more or less want to see something with uh, the taxes, you know, um, the plant tax, the individual plant tax, that's going to have to go away. If we really wanted to put a big dent into the black market, we're going to have to really go back and look at our taxes, especially once the taxes start to increase in the next couple of years. We're actually probably going to have to go back and stop that and maybe decrease it a little bit because that's just going to fuel the black market even further. And if we increase it to where it's going to be, I think in 2025, that's just going to create a crazy nonsense. Because right now, overall, if you purchase cannabis at $100, you're paying about 20 bucks in tax. If you increase it even more, people are just going to pay more in the end. And then the black market is just going to thrive even more. And then we're going to end up like California because California is actually going to take away their plant taxes and stuff like that. And another thing is working with the individual municipalities a little bit better because certain things that they've done either have gone against the law or, you know, they've been kind of been able to do things that I feel like they shouldn't be able to. Um, especially when it comes to like consumption lounges. Um, some places have just flat out banned them. And, you know, when we added them, they were meant to just be for everybody. And especially visitors who can't smoke in their hotel or the Airbnb or, you know, someone who lives on government housing, you know, military spouses, their, their spouse is the one that's in the military, not them. So they can have a card still, but they can't live on base and bring cannabis on. So that, that's what the consumption lounges are really for. And I feel the states, uh, the cities banning them outright is really doing an injustice to the visitors and the people that live within the communities. Real quick to touch on that tax issue. My understanding is that we've got, you know, the, the excise tax that the consumers end up paying. I mean, it, it's a responsibility of the businesses. And you mentioned a plant tax. I know that California is doing, or maybe Sacramento or something like that is doing away with it. But do we, so for producers, do they have to pay a tax when they subscribe to those flowers? Or is, I mean, I know there's a fee there, but is there an extra tax there? So when you're a large producer, you have your regular license and you pay for that. But when you have your plants per plant, you pay, I believe it's five bucks per plant. And so that adds up very quickly. Certain cities, I believe, have and counties have added their own plant tax on top of that. So that incorporates these cities and municipalities be like, oh, well, you know, if the state's going to incorporate these taxes, we're going to do it too. So, you know, when the state does it, a lot of the times the cities do it too, if they feel that there's a way. So that's why we really need to go back and, and look like, okay, let's get rid of this plant tax and not allow these cities and municipalities to add an additional tax or additional fees in general when it comes, because some of these places, they're, they're giving them fees just to apply in the city, just to get a business license 
Uh, and that's not right. You know, they shouldn't be able to do that. And then just to, for the listeners that don't know, just to be clear, that fee that they're paying for plants, that is separate from the, the cost it takes to get them from whoever, whoever's producing the plants or the seeds or whatever it is you're buying. You have to pay the state a fee per plant that you plan to grow, right? Yeah. And this isn't, um, if you're a micro producer, th- this fee doesn't apply to you. So you don't have to pay that individual ta- plant tax, but you only get 200 plants. Flowering plants, right? Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. That's another thing that was changed in New Mexico that they changed the program. We just talk about flowering plants right now. So yeah, I mean, that that's another thing too is you know, and that's kind of what limits licenses because five dollars times the, the sixteen thousand is not you know eighty thousand dollars to get a full plant. A load is going to cost you eighty thousand plus you know all your other licenses on top. You know your little license on top of that. So you're looking at a hundred thousand dollars to really get in the game on it just on a vertical just to get in right not even we're not talking about getting stuff ready for your plants or anything so you know that does limits quite a bit uh, of people in, in the in the game so and it goes to equity too you know it's not very fair to to do that to people who are trying to get in who maybe don't have a hundred thousand dollars just for that portion so you know that's something that maybe needs to you know change change in the legislature and you know very soon i was just going to ask you guys about that the money from the industry is definitely flowing in and originally the legislature had planned to set up some specific funds with that money for things like education and helping ensure equity in the industry that sponsors wanted. Those funds were scrapped in order to get the Cannabis Control Act passed and into law. So would you like to see those proposals come back now that money is no longer hypothetical? I would I would like to see it more controlled in the local areas though. More more, you know what I mean? If instead of giving the state the twelve percent, you know, let's uh we, we, we give them we give them four and keep eight in the local area. So, you know what I mean? The people that are impact locally by it or, or, you know what I mean? The municipalities that want to do better, want to have this thriving industry for these little communities that don't have anything else but this maybe. Um, so we can we can help have them do, do better and, and and maybe write a storybook. You know what I mean? Story of I mean, a beautiful story about cannabis helping a little community prosper you know it's instead of being devil's lettuce and we're all going to get crazy uh you know so i definitely would like to see i would i would definitely like chad said drop the tax or just limit it to 10 percent at the whole level you know what i mean on the on the retail side and um yeah make sure we get that to the communities so the communities that really want to do better and want to thrive they benefit from it right like we're talking to sunland park and just getting an idea of how many stores they had um, they would be able to get two, uh, two full-time officers within weeks, you know what I mean, just with their 10%, you know what I mean, that they had on it or whatnot. So, you know, it, it would be better to have that extra money to, to be able to have it locally to me. So, I, yeah, I would definitely like to see that happen. I, I agree with uh, my two amigos here. We're the three amigos, by the way. Uh, I agree uh, wholeheartedly. I think that there's a, and, and Megan, just back to your question, there's a chance to capacity build in New Mexico with this program. I've seen it myself, uh, Santa Rosa, New Mexico, back in 2018, we took about seven or eight people out there and relocated because we were starting to tap into the town there for a hemp company. And that was beautiful because I could see what they had to offer their townspeople or the, the local community for jobs. And what we were bringing in was an opportunity that these people didn't have access to prior. And it was bringing back some people to the community. And also we were able to tap into some of the people from the high school coming in. Uh, now with the age limit, you know, they have to be 21 to work in the field, but you can absolutely see how taking these 
you know, businesses starting up in these small communities can bring jobs and really help these uh, smaller communities to capacity build, bringing jobs back, bringing our, you know, keeping some of our college students here to work, putting benefits and, and decent wages on the table for, for people. And so I definitely think it's time to readdress that and to look at how they're going to carve out this money. I have a, a little bit of confidence that they will, because I think a lot of us are going to be knocking on their door, right, to, to make sure that, that they follow through with some of these promises. Shannon, you had, you had mentioned uh, equity uh, earlier in our conversation here. Part of the intention was to you know, give a leg up to some of these people that have been victimized by the war on drugs and, and sort of put an equal play, uh, create an uh, equal playing field for folks in the industry. How are we doing on that so far? What, what, like, are there specific things that lawmakers can do to make sure that we're, we're better at that? I mean, I think that they have, uh, they definitely have a focus on it through the CRAC, you know, or the CRAC, as they call it, the Cannabis Regulatory Advisory <laughs> Committee, and they're definitely talking about it. I just don't see a lot coming out of that right now. They, de- they do have an application out and they're letting people apply um, as, you know, uh, through this, you know, application indicating that they're in a disproportionately impacted area and And so there's some markers in place. Um, They're starting to talk about, you know, some funds available to, uh, you know, folks through the social uh, equity program. Um, But I definitely think that we need to put some sort of a project together around this and get the State Department's hands to meet because we have some wonderful programs that could be of use right now that just really aren't touching this economic development, the Department of Economic Development, you know, a lot of their programs uh, aren't reaching into this yet. And so when I look at it overall, um, I challenge them to really kind of put their hands together and their heads together over this. I know a lot of community members are doing that right now. So, you know, we don't want to end up like Illinois who promised social equity. And then here they are five years later with nada, you know, and, and so we really don't want to go there, but I think it's going to be interesting to see the statistics at the end of the year and the data that the division has compiled from the application process now. And then we can kind of go from there and see kind of how has this really played out for our actual micro businesses and actual New Mexicans. So I'm eager to see that data and see kind of like how that turns out so that then we can kind of put some measures behind and point to some applicable programs. That, that's where I'm at on it is, you know, there's a way that we can go about this. I think legislators should reach back into the community to some of the original folks that were giving them information around the marijuana working group. And I think that there's a lot of people like Josh and Chad, even you, Andy, that people can, that these legislators can reach out to, to kind of tap in for this type of, uh, you know, information and input and expertise. I'm going to keep you in the hot seat, Shannon. I interviewed you last week for a story that's now up on NM Political Report's website uh, about education standards, specifically when it comes to uh, cannabis servers. Can you explain to our listeners what a cannabis server is and uh, a little bit more about your concerns on their training or lack of? Sure. And thanks. I saw that article. It came out wonderful. You did a great job. A cannabis server is an individual who works for a consumption lounge, a cannabis consumption lounge. You can liken a cannabis server to a bartender, okay? And right now we're likening bud tenders to bartenders, but truthfully, the cannabis server is the individual that hands you, you know, a, a microdose or is allowing you to take 
or, or ingest your cannabis in a cannabis consumption lounge. The Cannabis Regulation Act um, is the statute that gives us access. And in that act, we have a law, a, a couple of line items in there that indicate that cannabis servers should have a permit like the alcohol servers permit, right? And so my take on it is that we've delayed the educational process by not opening the application to cannabis server permit providers to provide this permit. Yet we have opened the cannabis consumption lounges and we've got cannabis servers a little under supported right now for the liability that these consumption lounges pose. I in no way am against cannabis consumption lounges and nor am I pro massive regulations. All that I'm saying is that we now have a huge liability and we put the cart before the horse, so to speak, right? Um, and so I'm hopeful that the cannabis consumption lounges that have been allowed to open and operate have some mechanisms in place to mitigate their own liability while the state starts to pick up pace around this gap. What do you want to see the state ultimately do? Do you want to have some of the things they have they require for alcohol servers? Do you want something more than that? No, I want a, a support, a standard. I think that it's a little bit all over the map and these individuals working in the workforce are tasked with um, disseminating information and education to the public. And so it's either the Department of Health take on a public health campaign and which let's just put it this way, ain't gonna happen, okay? We, we already had that kind of come and go, right? And I, 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 I believe that we're past that. So now it falls on the CCD to standardize. And I know that in other states they have through statute and through regulations. And by standardizing, I don't mean saying, you, Megan's dispensary, give these topics to your employees, and then you, Josh's dispensary, do that as well. I mean, giving them tools and resources and telling them this is the standard, and here's here's a here's what we really want you to see in these dispensaries. That way, everybody's kind of speaking the same language or similar language as we disseminate it out to the consumer base. And that's in an ideal world, I realize, but it's achievable. It's so achievable. We've been achieving that at Seedcrest for over five years. And so there's no need to reinvent the wheel. We actually have you know, great resources available. And like other states, Illinois, Washington, and Alaska, they put together these types of standardizations and they opened it up to give licenses to these educational providers. And so I just wanna see that through. And then we've got a lot of road mapping to do around that here in the state. So the standardization is I think the heartbeat of what I'm, I'm requesting. We have been talking to a lot of folks about banking and financing in the cannabis industry. What kinds of things have you all heard about or even experienced when it comes to things like finding physical spaces or coming up with funding? It's been unique in a lot of ways. You know, I mean, as far as with banks and stuff funding, um, I have a I, I have a consulting company and, I, and a management company where I, I manage grows and consult grows all over the state and uh, one of them actually applied for the uh, small the, the the business loan for the micro licenses and that was a very unique process they told From the like, New Mexico Finance Authority yes yes so that that they're they're both very professional and, and come from very like kind of uh, you know that, that world and they said that was one of the most stringent things they've gone through ever uh, so I thought that that was really unique because I know how on point they are with their paperwork and then how most other people aren't. So that's definitely going to be a little more difficult for a lot of people that are not really, you know, that the accountant smart of it and the, or the business planning smart of it. I, I think they'll be at a, 
at a disadvantage on, on that side of it. But yeah, as far as banking and stuff, you know, it's you got, you got limited options. I've heard new things coming along as far as people lending out money, uh, certain like a few banks out there lending out money. But uh, it has to be one of them definitely wants to be uh, for uh, real estate or whatever. So they know they're going to get their money back. It, it can't be for equipment or anything like that. I know there is lending out there. I, I work with another company. Um, it, it's a national level company that do the do lend for, you know, lights and uh, everything else to all your grow equipment and stuff. It's just a lot of work, like a lot of, you know, uh, crossing your T's, dotting your I's, make sure everything's there. But it, yeah, it's a lot of work and there's not, it's not like a whole bunch of money, you know, people in the cannabis industry, you're better off finding, you know what I mean? Uh, private investors or, or that level, you know what I mean? Secondary portfolio lenders, stuff like that. Um, anything, you know, it just seems easier to get money like that and have a great business plan if you're going at it. And uh, even now, you know, uh, I have stuff that I had put on a uh, invoice. So because everything's raised up 10% on the equipment in the last 30 days. So, you know, when you're making a million dollar purchase for equipment, 10% is another, you know, if you can save that, please try, <laughs> you know, in the business world. So that, that's what my experience is with everything so far with finances and, and different. I know there's three different banks. Uh, there's actually one down here, Western Heritage, that's, that's taking interviews and stuff and people. And, and I'm fortunate enough that, you know what I mean? I, I work with companies that, that, that work with work with them. So that's great. And then I heard, you know, US Eagle doing that in the Southwest Capital. I was just going to say one thing I try to tell people is uh, do your best to stay away from using the actual word cannabis or marijuana in your business name when you're doing banking accounts, because a lot of the times they won't give you an account at all. If your name has cannabis at all or anything to do with it, they're just, they're going to veer away from you. So I just wanted to give that, you know, little piece of advice for certain people. That, that's spot on. And I, I'll say just real quick to kind of my experience in working with, uh, you know, startups uh, going into from ground up, starting their entity to applying for a business to launching their business. I've been doing a lot of that work in the last year and a half. If they're in the southern part of the state, Megan, they're pretty much at a loss for a bank right now, unless they go and they're catching that heritage train, which is new to me as of last week. I have some clients out there. Well, Seedcrest has clients out there that, uh, you know, are saying, so we're going to have to bank in Albuquerque and transport money across the state. And so there is a deficit away from talking about lending and investor stuff. Just starting a bank account is a feat for a lot of these mm -hmm. individuals and then understanding how they're then going to, you know, transport their money and that sort of thing. So anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in there too, to kind of say it's a chat. It's still a huge challenge um, from the actual account to the lending to all, all of it really. And, and we still need, we need more banking availability for New Mexicans. Well, actually we've heard, which surprised both of us beyond just, you know, a business loan or a business account, even if you work in the industry, it can be difficult to like, say, get a mortgage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I don't know how you address that unless you kind of change federal banking laws. But are you guys hearing that from folks you talk to? Yeah, I've experienced it myself in buying a home. And so, yeah, I mean, I had a, I, on my application, I cannabis NM staffing, that's where Chad's comment comes in. And all they see is that you work or own that business and they're assuming, right. And they just knock you right out. Right. And so there's these little ways to, to kind of get around that, but yeah, even your employees, when you de directly deposit their checks, 
if you have a big cannabis name, their bank could, could drop them just for working for you, right? So as we're start helping entities to set up in the incubation stage, it's like one of the first things we say is, you know, no need, you, you can set it up that way and DBA, but your bank account name needs to be something not cannabis obvious or, or hemp obvious, right? So I was going to actually bring that up, Shannon, because I, I, it was a recent episode you all did where you talked about changing the name to Seedcrest uh, <laughs> because of that. But uh, some of those things are sort of like best practices. And, and a lot of times you all offer free advice to these, the folks that are getting into the industry just now. Uh, are you getting a big response from that? Are you getting calls of like, are, are you guys now becoming the sort of Google of the, the New Mexico cannabis industry? <laughs> there's not a lot of small business incubators out there right and so one of the things we immediately put in place were these workplace forums and small business trainings dispensary management trainings and because we live and breathe the cannabis regulations and the pol the policy and the the law, yes, we are. And yes, my phone and our, our phone at Seedcrest is ringing off the hook. Um, and so we've turned that into, you know, teaching more classes that cater to businesses um, and also uh, opening up a consultation uh, arm of Seedcrest so that we can help to, to incubate some of these businesses and help them to navigate the waters, so to speak. It, it is definitely crazy. It's, it's made it busy, like super busy. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Any, any events we go to and stuff, you know, people ask, you know, hundred questions or whatnot. Uh, <laughs> and so, and you know, you, you want to be friendly and do everything you can, you know, and especially like emails and everything else like that and messages on Facebook and stuff. So it, it's been interesting and you try to help everybody. One thing I think that's helped is just the networking. Like uh, I'm, I'm about to get into the wholesale world real heavily just because of a, a incident that I was a part of in the wholesale world that I didn't like. So, uh, you know, to me, I'm like, well, we're going to fix the problem then. <laughs> yeah, that's how we work. So, yeah. Uh, and then I just, you know, networking like that and meeting people that have the product and the, need, the end results, you know, with the dispensaries. And then, you know, so that's uh, it, it's been it's been super interesting. And then having that reached out, reaching out like that's been crazy networking that I, I, I'd have never expected, you know, just doing a podcast about cannabis in New Mexico. You can find NM Canacast on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, or wherever you normally listen to podcasts. They put out new episodes every Wednesday. Thanks for listening to another episode of Growing Forward. And if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button so you'll know when the new episodes are up. And we always welcome donations to help keep the mics on. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can find a donation link at nmpoliticalreport.com. You can leave a note with your donation to indicate you're supporting the podcast. You can also find us on Instagram at growingforward underscore canna nm. Catherine Conley designed our logo, and a big thanks as always to our producer, Kevin McDonald, for helping us keep this project going.